Hello everyone and welcome to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Spin Move Podcast, where we give our spin in the world of sports. I am your host, Paulo Sparza, and unfortunately Nathan Samir couldn't join me tonight. Yours truly is going solo for this episode. There is a lot to talk about in sports. We're going to talk about the WNBA Finals as the Washington Mystics won their first WNBA title after winning at home in Game 5 against the Connecticut Sun. And then I'm going to talk about the series between the Washington Nationals and the St. Louis Cardinals. And then I'm going to jump into NFL as there's a lot of news going on. And then I'm going to talk about college football. Before we begin, I want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening to the podcast weekly. And, and this is your first time listening to the podcast. Welcome, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Where can you find us? You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, and you can also find us on our website at uh, the Spin Move Podcast. You can search us at any search engine, and you can also find us on Pinecast, where we have our list of episodes or you can download and listen to us offline. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the Spin Move Podcast, where we will post an episode once a week from Thursday through Sunday. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. It w- we would really appreciate it. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with anyone that you know. And feel free to give us some feedback. We would love to hear from you. It is time to jump in. To the episode, and the first thing we're going to talk about is the WNBA Finals as the Washington Mystics won their first WNBA title after winning at home last Thursday night on Game 5 against the Connecticut Sun, 89-78. to This was literally a back-and-forth game as both teams expected, as both teams exchanged lead-ups until... A little under six minutes left in the fourth quarter when it was tied at 72-all. The Mystics went on a 17-6 run to end the game. Emma Messerman was key for the Washington Mystics to win this game as there was also great shutdown defense. Messerman was named the WNBA Finals MVP and I believe she's the first pro basketball player in the NBA and WNBA to win the MVP award as the sixth woman off the bench. I almost said sixth man. Emma Messerman scored 22 points in the game. Elena Deladon, who is playing through an injury with a herniated disc, I think, she scored 21 points with nine rebounds. And the key to this game was Connecticut center John Quell Jones coming out of the game due to her fourth foul. And John Quell Jones was playing very well, scored 25 points in that game. John Quell Jones was key in the Connecticut Suns staying in the game. But once she went out with her fourth foul and Breonna Jones had to come in for her, that was the beginning of the end as the Washington Mystics took advantage of the mismatches and they made sure that they got the lead and they weren't turning back. By the time 
John Quill Jones came into the game, the damage was already done. And Emma Messaman was able to make the critical throws along with Elena Deladon. And then you had Christy Tolliver making the free throws needed to end the game. What a difference a year makes. Last year, the Washington Mystics were in the WNBA Finals, but they came up short. Fast forward to a year later, where they went back to the Finals, and this time, they were not going to let the game get away from them, as they won their first WNBA championship. It was joyful to see all those players celebrate a title after all the hard work they had to put in throughout the season. It was joyful to see Mike Tybalt, the head coach of the Washington Mystics, finally win his first WNBA championship and against his former team, the Connecticut Sun, a team that he has coached for years. Mike Tybalt is a great coach. He got this team together and believed that they can beat anyone and stand toe-to-toe with everyone. Elena Deladon said, and I quote, A lot of people question why I went to a team that hadn't been to the playoffs in a while. And I saw it with Coach. I knew he was building something really special. Close quote. A quote like that from Elena Deladon just shows you how beloved and how much trust these players have in Mike Tybalt. And if the Washington Mystics can keep those core players together then they should be unstoppable for years to come. I know that they have some decisions to make in free agency because Emma Messaman, Elena Deladon, Christy Tolliver, and Ariel Powers, they're all free agents after 2019. So now that the season's over, when free agency comes, they're going to be free agents. Now, in my opinion, I think Emma Messaman and Elena Deladon, they're not going anywhere. They're going to stay. And they have to stay because that is the, those were the key players and those are the leaders of the team. And the Mystics need to keep them no matter what. Christy Tolliver's up in the air. Um, Ariel Power. Um, I would think the, the Mystics would re-sign her. And Samir agrees. He says that they'll definitely re-sign Elena Deladon and Emma Messaman. They are the heart and soul of the team. Uh, Tolliver, he thinks that Tolliver may become a coach and retire. He thinks that Tolliver may retire because uh, she's getting up there in age and and with the knee injury. And he hopes that they re-sign Ariel Power as she'll be the starting point guard moving forward. Lots of questions for the Washington Mystics to answer in the offseason. But for now, this is a time to celebrate. And this is great for D.C. because... For years and years of D.C. teams not doing well, we know the state of the Washington Redskins, uh, the Washington Wizards, the Nationals have been horrible for a long time. Now they are making the rise up and possibly going to be winning the title soon. And now you have the Mystics bringing a title to Washington, D.C. And Everyone is ecstatic about that. So congratulations to the Washington Mystics. The Connecticut Sun, it was a very impressive uh, battle because I said in, in, the, in the previous episode of the podcast that the Suns were going to put up a fight, but in the end, the Mystics are going to win. 
the Suns have a lot of good pieces. If they can regroup and learn from this season, keep their core players, it won't be surprising to see the Connecticut Sun back in this spot again, just like the Washington Mystics. Next, it is time to switch to Major League Baseball. The Washington Nationals swept the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, you heard me right. The Washington Nationals swept the St. Louis Cardinals to advance to their first ever World Series match where they will meet the winner of the Yankees and the Houston Astros. I'm just going to recap what went down in that series. In Game 1, Annabelle Sanchez was lights out, allowing no hits through nearly 8 innings. That is impressive. To allow no hits at nearly 8 innings, really impressive. He left the game after just one hit to pitch hitter Jose Martinez as the Nats win 2-0 in St. Louis. And then Game 2, which was also taking place in St. Louis, I think it was Max Scherzer. He also pitched a flawless inning in relief with 11 strikes and 14 total pitches and 3 strikeouts. He too nearly went hitless until the bottom of the 7th, which was a single by Paul Goldschmidt. Michael A. Taylor, who was starting in place of Victor Robles, who was um, dealing with a hamstring, he had a solo shot in the 3rd, followed up by insurance runs, courtesy of an Adam Eden double in the 8th inning. The Nationals took Game 2, 3-1, and they led the series 2-0. Now to switch over to Game 3, first Nationals home game in the National League Championship Series. This was on Monday night. This was an all-around effort as five players had at least one RBI. Howie Kendrick, who was injured last year, he had three doubles, and Strasburg struck out 12 in seven innings, allowing the first Cardinals run against a starter. They won game three as they were now one win away from the World Series. Then we get to game four. The Nationals came out striking hot from the start, leading 7-0 in the bottom of the first. That shocked me. I knew the Nationals were going to win, but I didn't think they were going to start out that fast in Game 4. That shows you how much they wanted to win this game and this series very badly. They stormed to an early 7-0 lead. Just like the Cardinals putting up 11 runs against the Atlanta Braves in Game 5 of the National League Divisional Series. Nearly every player reached base with Trey Turner hitting two singles and driving in multiple runs. Corbin was on target early, but he did allow four unanswered runs. As the team held off a late 8th inning surge by the Cardinals to advance the World Series, winning 7-4 in Game 4. I knew that the Cardinals were going to be a tough matchup, but I didn't expect them to be swept. I mean, after watching them destroying the Atlanta Braves in Game 5, I would think they would put up a fight. But man, the Nationals swept this series. It reminded me how the Washington Wizards swept the Toronto Raptors, which was also surprising. There were so many miscues 
from the St. Louis Cardinals right off the bat when they finally got some momentum in hitting four runs trying to catch up. It was too late for them as the Nationals were set on winning the National League Championship Series to advance to their World Series trip for the first time. And we're going to see who are they going to face. Are they going to face the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees? Regardless of who it is, I think the Nationals are going to put up a fight, but it's going to be a tough one because as surprising it is to see them sweep the St. Louis Cardinals, I do not think a sweep is going to happen against the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees. They're going to they're gonna get a fight because the Houston Astros, they were in the World Series two years ago. The Yankees have won championships, so they have experience. This will be the first time the Nationals have gone to a World Series. So my question to the Nationals, how are they going to seize this moment? Are they going to rally together and put up a great game plan to beat the Astros or the Yankees to win the World Series or will inexperience uh, be the downfall for them? But regardless of what happens, I do think the Nationals put up a terrific season. Coming off, I think, in May, they were 19 of 31. Everybody, myself included, along with Samir and Nathan, were calling for Davey Martinez's head, calling for him to be fired. And then to go from that to this turnaround to the World Series is just really impressive. Now, I'm not going to give my predictions on the World Series until we find out who is facing the Nationals. But regardless, I think the Nationals are in for a big fight. And I think it is one that they will gladly accept and they will not back down. And now it's time to switch to the NFL as there has been some news the last few days, especially with the Los Angeles Rams and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Los Angeles Rams lost to the San Francisco 49ers 20-7. There's a little preview for the recap. And the Rams have been in the news the last few days as they put their corner, Aki Talib, on IR with a rib injury. I think he can return this season should the Los Angeles Rams make it to the playoffs, but right now that's not certain. And then they trade away their starting corner, Marcus Peters, to the Baltimore Ravens for linebacker Kenny Young. They also got Austin Corbett, a center from the Cleveland Browns in the trade. Looking at this trade, I was like, that's odd. They put Aki Tlaib on IR, and then they trade away Marcus Peters. So that would have left them with Nikhil Roby Coleman, Darius Williams, Troy Hill, and their third-round pick, David Long. So... At first glance, the Los Angeles Rams corner position was severely weakened. And then came the big news, and that is the Rams got Jalen Ramsey in a trade from the Jacksonville Jaguars. That was not the shocking thing. The biggest shocker is what they gave up for Jalen Ramsey. They had to give the Jacksonville Jaguars... Two, I repeat, two first-round picks 
in 2020 and 2021 and a 2021 fourth round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, if you remember, Jalen Ramsey got into a heated confrontation with head coach Doug Marone a few weeks back. And Jalen Ramsey asked for a trade. Now, at first, the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to abide by Jalen Ramsey's wishes. And then they changed their mind saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to trade away Jalen Ramsey. We're going to try to work out a deal for him. If the Jacksonville Jaguars got an offer they can't refuse, they were going to make that switch. I know that, I think it was the Baltimore Ravens. Offered them, I think, a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and tight end Hayden Hurst. And the Jaguars said no. They didn't think it was enough. Clearly, two first-round picks is enough. First of all, if you get two first-round picks offered to you for a player, you ain't turning that down. Unless, of course, if you were Bengals owner Mike Brown, who reportedly, years ago turned down two first-round picks from the Washington Redskins for Chad Ochocinco. First of all, as a Redskins fan, I would like to say thank you, Mike Brown, for stopping the Redskins from making a big mistake. From the Bengals fans' perspective, that was a really bad move. Now, back to the Los Angeles Rams and the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars, they get a ransom of picks that they can use to build their rosters in future years. Jalen Ramsey was a two-time Pro Bowler. So they knew the value that that Jalen Ramsey has, and they weren't going to settle for anything lower than that. For the Rams, they get a great player. But, one, is it going to work? Is Jalen Ramsey going to fit into the scheme that Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, is he going to fit to that scheme? Two, how fast can he pick up defense? And three, is he committed to staying to Los Angeles long term? He has one more year, well, he had one more year left on his rookie contract as the Jaguars picked up his fifth-year option that would have paid him $13.7 million. Apparently, Ramsey explained in Nate Burleson's podcast that the reason that he asked for a trade is more so from issues with the Jaguars organization and front office. Can this work? To me, I think that the Jaguars won this trade because of the amount of picks that they get. The Rams, they get a very good player, like I said. But is it worth spending two first-round picks on a guy that may not want to resign? Now, I don't know Jalen Ramsey. Maybe he wants to resign. Maybe he doesn't. But if this season concludes and Jalen Ramsey decides not to re-sign with the Los Angeles Rams, then the Rams set themselves back for years because now they'll be without two first-round picks. So for the Rams, they need this trade to work. They need Jalen Ramsey to play at a high level. They think that that he is the answer to getting them back to a Super Bowl and to winning it this time. But... Will it propel them to beat the Seahawks? Will it propel them to beat the, as of now, the undefeated San Francisco 49ers? And can it help them beat the tough teams in the playoffs, including, if they get to the Super Bowl, getting a chance to beat the New England Patriots this time? 
I don't know, but I just think this this is a very very risky move for the Rams. They had to do what they had to do to get Jalen Ramsey, and they believe that this is the guy they need. But this could backfire them if Jalen Ramsey plays terrible, and two, if Jalen Ramsey decides not to re-sign. So we're gonna see how that goes. And now we get to the NFL recaps. The Giants and the Patriots played Thursday night, and it was close from the start, 21-14 Patriots. But the defense and special teams came to play for the Pats yet again with three picks from the Giants rookie QB Daniel Jones and one blocked punt return for a touchdown. Patriots pull away 35-14. The NFC South goes to London as the Carolina Panthers beat the Buccaneers 37-26. The Panthers' defense is relentless as they force Jameis Winston to five picks and a fumble. Christian McCaffrey is playing at an MVP level, and Kyle Allen is now 4-0 since becoming the starter, which puts the question whether or not the Panthers can easily turn back to Cam Newton or stick with the hot hand in Kyle Allen. Both teams are now in a bye week in Week 7. And in the game that uh, everyone likes to call the Tank Bowl or the Toilet Bowl, There was one team that looked like poop, and that was the Miami Dolphins, as the Redskins survived 17-16 to win their first game of the season after the Dolphins missed a potential game-winning two-point conversions. I don't know if that's whether that was a good play call, whether if they tried hard, or maybe somebody in the organization probably told the coaches, hey, please do not win. We need some draft picks. We need the number one pick. We need Tua. Who knows? Then in the Saints and Jaguars, you had two backup quarterbacks in Teddy Bridgewater and Gardner Minshew. The former remained undefeated 4-0 since Drew Brees' thumb injury. The Saints win in a low-scoring game, 13-6. So, so much for the Saints going down the rails after Drew Brees going down the injury. Not so fast. Teddy Bridgewater is playing very well. We have the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens were once again led by Lamar Jackson, who became the first QB ever to throw for over 200 yards and rush for over 150 yards. They hold off the winless Bengals, winning 23-17. And here the Bengals thought that after changing head coaches, they would start getting on the right path. So far, not so much. When it comes to the Eagles and Vikings, you better back up your pregame talk, Eagles, as ex-Redskins Zach Brown talked trash regarding Kirk Cousins since both of them were with the Washington Redskins a couple years ago. And the result was a Vikings onslaught. Kirk Cousins found Stephon Diggs early and often with 7 catches on 11 targets and 167 yards and 3 touchdowns, including 2 50-yard-plus catches against a very decimated Eagles secondary. And the Vikings won 38-20. Zach Brown had to pay for his words as he got cut by the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday. And then we go to the Seattle Seahawks and the Cleveland Browns, where you had a back-and-forth battle with the Browns with the early first-half lead. But Russell Wilson shows why he is Russell Wilson and that he deserves the MVP award third of the season as he was going 22 of 23 for 
295 yards and two touchdowns and rushing for another touchdown. And with both running backs on both sides had big games. With Chris Carson with 24 carries, 124 yards and a touchdown. Nick Chubb from the Cleveland Browns had 20 carries for 122 yards and two touchdowns. But the Browns were done in by Baker Mayfield's three picks, which is which is leading the league so far. And there were several miscues. Seattle wins 32-28. to Then we get to the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs as Houston won in Arrowhead 31-24. to Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson had 280 passing yards, a touchdown, and two picks. So it wasn't quite a good performance from him individually, but his teammates rallied around him as Carlos Hyde went off with 26 carries, 116 yards, and a touchdown. Deshaun Watson, though, had two rushing touchdowns. Deshaun Watson, though, he is another candidate to watch for uh, MVP. Patrick Mahomes, last year's MVP, he had 273 passing yards, three touchdowns, and a, and a pick. He was limping, but he should be fine. And then you had the return of Tyreek Hill as he got five catches for 80 yards and two touchdowns in his first game back since week one. It was a close battle, but it was a ba- it was a game won by the Houston Texans, and they could be out corner as Will Fuller suffered an injury. He's actually been ruled out for this Thursday night's game against the Denver Broncos, and they could possibly lose Brashad Breeland, the other starting corner, to an injury. The Arizona Cardinals winning at home 34-33. to The Arizona Cardinals starting right off the bat. Matt Ryan had a great performance so far with 356 yards, 4 touchdowns, and no picks. Devontae Freeman had... 19 carries for 88 yards. Austin Hooper showing why he's having a terrific season so far with 8 catches, 117 yards, and a touchdown. But, alas, it was not meant to be as the Arizona Cardinals torched the secondary. Kyler Murray with 340 passing yards and 3 touchdowns. David Johnson had a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. Atlanta falls to 1-5, and and things are not going well with head coach Dan Quinn, as his job may be on the line. We have the undefeated San Francisco 49ers defeating the St. Louis Rams. Oh my goodness, St. Louis Rams. The Los Angeles Rams, 20-7. The San Francisco 49ers' D-line is for real. They pressure Jared Goff all day. Jared Goff had a very bad day as he only threw for 78 passing yards. This was also a game where the Rams were without Todd Gurley as he went down with a quad injury before the game. He was ruled out. So in start, Malcolm Brown, who really did not do much for 11 carries for 40 yards. This was just a bad day for the Rams overall because... You had that relentless D-line of DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa, their first-round pick of this year. And then for the Niners, you had Jimmy Garoppolo going for 243 yards, no touchdowns and a pick, but but better than uh, Jared Goff. Tevin Coleman had a, tu- had a rushing touchdown. George Kittle, one of the top tight ends in the NFL, he went off with eight catches, 103 yards. And then we had the Denver Broncos shutting out the Tennessee Titans, 
16 to nothing as Marcus Mariota had a terrible game. 7 of 18 for 63 yards and two interceptions. It got bad to the point where Mike Rabel, the head coach, made the decision to bench him for Ryan Tannehill. And Ryan Tannehill performed slightly better than Marcus Mariota, 144 passing yards, but he did throw a pick. Not much was there. The running game was non-existent, and the passing game was also non-existent. You had the Broncos, on the other hand. Joe Flacco, just an average day, 177 yards and an interception. Nothing too impressive, but Philip Lindsay got the running game going. Corlin Sutton uh, had 76 passing yards. It was not an exciting game, but the Denver Broncos were able to pull out the win. And Tennessee, we'll see where they go from here because now the news has been announced that Ryan Tannehill will be starting for uh, the Titans instead of Marcus Mariota. We'll see how that plays out. Denver has a Thursday night game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And then you have the New York Jets getting their first victory of the season as they beat the Dallas Cowboys at home 24-22. The Jets get back Sam Darnold who went down to mono and they were very happy to have him back as he had 338 passing yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Robbie Anderson, his number one target, went off as he had five catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. Ryan Griffin, the tight end, also had a touchdown. For the Cowboys, despite Ezekiel Elliott going off with 105 rushing yards, it wasn't enough for the New York Jets as they were able to squeak out a victory. New York now has a Monday night game waiting for them against the New England Patriots at home, while the Dallas Cowboys have a Sunday night game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And then, speaking of Sunday night, we had the Pittsburgh Steelers winning 24-17 in Los Angeles against the Chargers in a game where they did not have Mason Rudolph due to a concussion, so they went to their third-string quarterback, Devlin Hodges. I think it was some Pittsburgh players that said that he reminded them of a young Ben Roethlisberger. So, what do you know? Maybe Big Ben found the fountain of youth and was able to play under a different alias. I kid. But you had James Conner, you had James Conner getting a receiving touchdown with 7 catches and 78 yards. Jalen Samuel wasn't playing as he went down to injury, so you had Benny Snell Jr. Rushing with 17 carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Devlin Hodges only had 132 passing yards, a touchdown, and an interception. He played like a third-string quarterback would play. I mean, it was his first game, so can't cut him too much slack. Phillip Rivers, 320 passing yards with two touchdowns and two interceptions. He struggled. Overall, statistically, he had a great game, but those picks, they're not going to do well. And you had Melvin Gordon. He's coming back from the uh, holdout. He only had eight carries for 18 yards. But you had Hunter Henry coming back from an injury. And in his first game back, he had eight catches, 100 yards, and two touchdowns. A lot of people didn't expect Pittsburgh to play well under a third-string quarterback. But they proved everyone wrong as Devlin Hodges was able to help contribute to a Pittsburgh Steelers victory. The defense was playing terrific. And then we go to the Monday night game as the Green Bay Packers 
barely squeezed out a victory at home against the Detroit Lions 23-22 in a game where the Detroit Lions came out hot. Matthew Stafford threw for 265 passing yards, no touchdowns, and no interceptions. Kenny Galladay went off with five catches, 121 yards. The first, that was the first play of the game. The first play of the game is, I think it was a flea flicker, and Matthew Stafford threw a bomb to Kenny Galladay to set them up to set them up in good position to score. But it ended in a field goal. Carry uh, on Johnson scored a touchdown. And the other side, Aaron Rodgers threw for 283 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Jamal Williams, the backup running back for Aaron Jones, went off with 14 carries, 104 rushing yards. In a game where they didn't have Devontae Adams again, you had Alan Lazor getting four catches for 65 yards and a touchdown. The Lions had every chance to win this game, but it was field goal, field goal, field goal. They couldn't put him away. And then you had two, I think it was two phantom illegal illegal use of the hands on Lions defensive end, Trey Flowers. And it was that last one, it was the second call that really put the Green Bay Packers in a position to, to kick the game-winning field goal. The Lions had the Packers stop. They were able to stop a third down conversion, but that call cost them the victory. Now, it wasn't the normal, it wasn't the quick factor because the Lions, like I said, the Lions had every opportunity to win this game. But because it was only, they only ended drives and field goals, that gave the Packers so many opportunities to get back in the game, and they got the victory. And that was your NFL recaps. And just want to make a quick note of the Washington Redskins. It was great that they finally got their first victory of the season. I'm not one to be upset that they won. They're putting themselves out of position for uh, the number one pick. I'm just tired of losing. So if I can just see a win from these guys, it would be great. All right, I am not in favor of tanking because I just see how these players work so hard and... A player's never going to agree to tanking because this is their livelihood. This is their jobs. Their jobs are on the line like, I mean, almost like every single week because if they agree to tanking, that looks bad on them. That looks bad on their future, not only with their current teams, but in future teams in the NFL. So I'm just glad that the Redskins got a victory. I hope that the Miami Dolphins can find a way to win because... I feel so bad for not only those players, but for also Dolphins fans. Uh, in a game, the Washington Redskins, I like what I saw from them. Terry McLaurin got two touchdowns. He's showing why he can be one of the NFL's top receivers in years to come if he keeps playing like this at a high level. Adrian Peterson got his first 100-yard performance of the season. It was nice to see that from him. I like the schemes that I saw from Bill Callahan and the offensive coordinator, Kevin O'Connell, but it does worry me that they almost lost to the Miami Dolphins, 17-16. They almost lost. It was really embarrassing, but in the NFL, you just have to take the win, no matter how it is. So, we'll see how that goes uh, next week as they face the San Francisco 49ers. And now we get to predictions for Week 7 of the NFL season as... I'm going to pick a Dark Horse Game of the Week, and this does not include the marquee games like 
uh, the Chiefs, Broncos, or any of the primetime games like Eagles, Cowboys, Patriots, Jets, and even even like the game of the week. So I want to mention Samir's pick. His dark horse game of the week is the New York Giants against the Arizona Cardinals. I almost said St. Louis because I was thinking about the, the series between them and the Nationals. So thankfully I got that corrected. The New York Giants and the Arizona Cardinals, he predicts that the Giants are going to win 31-27, to and I can see why. Because uh, Daniel Jones, ever since he's been inserted to the lineup, you see a new, you see a new um, spark with this Giants team, even though they lost their last two games. But you see like a better uh, performance from them than they were early in the season. And it was the right decision to go with Daniel Jones now as opposed to Eli. I would think he picked the... The Giants to beat the Cardinals is because uh, the Cardinals defense is just so bad and they're getting back Evan Ingram. The Arizona Cardinals cannot cover the tight end. Clearly, as we saw in week one, as TJ Hawkinson had a big performance to start his career, I can see Evan Ingram going off. I can see guys like uh, Sterling Shepard, if he's playing, to uh, go off. I can just see this Giants. Uh, offense uh, performing very well. I think it's going to be a fight, but but Samir thinks the Giants are going to win 31-27. My dark horse game of the week will be in Buffalo as the Miami Dolphins, the winless Miami Dolphins, face the Buffalo Bills in an AFC East divisional matchup. Buffalo is coming back from a bye week, so they should be ready to go. Miami Dolphins... This is going to be a long season for them as it's clear to everybody that they are tanking. The reason I'm picking this game is because I think the Miami Dolphins get their first win of the season. You heard me right. The Miami Dolphins is going to get their first win of the season on the road against the Buffalo Bills. Now you're wondering, why would you pick Miami to win? Have you seen them play? Yes, I have seen them play. But... Everybody knows that when it comes to divisional matchups, you got to throw the records out the window because at least I would know with Redskins-Cowboys, the history is whoever had a great record would always lose to, the, to a divisional rival with a losing record. So like if the Cowboys were having a great season, they have a terrific record, and the Redskins were having a horrible record, the Redskins were going to win, and the same goes uh, vice versa. I just think Miami is getting to the point where they're just tired and tired of losing and they are going to rally around and and make sure they get a win because they do not want to join the likes of the Lions and the Browns in being an 0-16 team. And another reason why I think Miami's going to win is because Brian Flores made the decision to bench Josh Rosen and decide to name Brian Fitzpatrick as a starter. Remember, after the loss of the Redskins, Brian Flores said in the press conference that Josh Rosen would remain the starter. After some time, Wednesday, decided to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Now, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick hasn't been lighting the world on fire this season. He's been playing awful, but he is a veteran. He's, he's been in the NFL for a long time. He was leading a comeback against the Redskins, albeit ended in a loss. 
So I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to get this Miami offense to a spark, and he is going to play well enough to win. Not just him alone, but I think uh, you'll get a better performance in the running game from Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balash. I like what I saw from Mark Walton. Uh, you also had you also have Devonte Parker, who may or may not be a candidate for the trade deadline, but. I think the Miami Dolphins defense is going to get the Josh Allen. They're going to get pressure on him long enough for him to make some picks and make some mistakes, which will result into interceptions. I think the Miami Dolphins is going to get their first win of the season, and it's going to be 17-14. to Yeah, I, f- I got this low scoring, which is surprising because the Miami Dolphins have been getting blown out in the second half all season except last week with the Redskins. But I just believe that Miami's going to find a way to get this win because, one, they're tired of losing, and, two, this is a divisional matchup. you got to throw the records out the window. And that is it for the NFL. We're not going to have time to play the birthday game as it's just only me. I'm going to switch to college football. Due to time constraints, I'm going to switch over to Week 8 predictions and previews. Uh, first game up is going to be West Virginia at 3-3 three and three against number 5, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's going to win because, as I mentioned before, Oklahoma's playing at a high level. Jalen Hurts is on fire, and Oklahoma is not slowing down anytime soon. they got so many great weapons offensively. It's going to be difficult for any opposing team, let alone West Virginia, to stop them. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma, 42-10. Next game is Indiana at 4-2, coming to College Park to face the injury-battled Maryland Terrapins, who are 3-3. That's a 3-30 game on Saturday at the Big Ten Network. Going to be back and forth. I can see Indiana winning because Maryland is battered in the secondary. I'm just going to have to go with Indiana. I just don't see how Maryland can bounce back because after starting off great, they have been teetering. They looked bad against Temple. They got destroyed by Penn State. And then they got destroyed by a injury-rattled Purdue team on the road. I just don't see how Maryland can get this dress quickly and play at a high level again right now. I don't see Indiana as a good team. I think Maryland has a shot to beat Indiana, but because of the injuries to the secondary and the inconsistency from the offense, I'm just going to have to go with Indiana. And this looks like to be another lost season for the Maryland Terrapins. Next, we have number 12, Oregon at 5-1, and one, facing off against number 25, Washington Huskies, who are at 5-2, and two, and that's a 3-30 game on Saturday at ABC. This is going to be a terrific matchup. You have Justin Herbert going up against literally one of the top defenses in the Pac-12. And because of that, I think Washington is going to win. Defensively, they are relentless. And Justin Herbert's going to put up a fight. But in the end, Washington is going to find a way to make plays not only defensively but offensively too. I'm seeing great things from them uh, this season, especially at the USC game. 
Now, granted, it was against a third-string quarterback, but they are still good. Chris Peterson is a terrific coach, and he knows how to recruit, and he knows how to get a team to play at a high level. Except against a team like Alabama, of course, in the playoff. But that's pretty much every team. Washington is going to get the win 30-20, Washington. Next, we have number 18-ranked Baylor at 6-0. Who would expect that I would say that again? Number 18-ranked Baylor at 6-0 against Oklahoma State, who is 4-2 and 4 o'clock game on Saturday at Fox. And this would have to be the first time Baylor has been ranked since the firing of our brows. Oklahoma State, though, I've said in previous podcasts, Mike Gundy is a great coach. He knows how to get guys to play at a high level. But in the end, I think Baylor is going to win this game. But who knows? I could be wrong. So I think Baylor wins in a close one, 26-24. Next, it is number 17 ranked Arizona State at 5-1 against number 13 Utah at 5-1. That's a 6 o'clock game that you can watch on Saturday on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, This is going to be a tough matchup because Herm Edwards is leading Arizona State to a great start. His his fingerprints on this program is loud and clear. You can clearly see that this team has improved mightily with Herm Edwards. But at the same time, Utah has always been a great team. I always I talked about in the past about Kyle Winningham being a great coach. This is going to be a fight. I can see either team win. It's anybody's ball game. But in the end, I'm going to have to go with Arizona State. I'm going to have to go with Herm Edwards. I'm liking his game plan. I'm liking his approach to every game. Arizona State is going to try to make their claim in being the Pac-12 champion. They have a chance to do that. They really do. They are 5-1 and one in the Pac-12 South. Utah's in fourth with a 5-1 and one record overall. But if Arizona State wins uh, this Saturday's matchup against Utah, they're running away with the Pac-12 South, who I think they will face in the Pac-12 North. Going to have to go with Washington. I think Arizona State wins. 30-24. We have number 16, Michigan, at 5-1 against number 7, Penn State, undefeated at 6-0. That's at 7-30 on Saturday at ABC. I'm guessing that's uh, the game day crew. So you're going to see Kerb uh, Herbstreet and Chris Fowler calling those games. And I enjoyed listening to them a commentary. I think they're terrific. But nothing can beat Gus Johnson commentary. The dude's expressions, the dude's emotions in each game is just outstanding. But I'm getting off topic. Going back to Michigan, even though they're 5-1, this is not a good season for them overall. I do not like what I'm seeing from them uh, this season. This is going to be a big question for Penn State. Penn State, as good as they are, they haven't beaten teams like Michigan and Ohio State at a consistent basis. Penn State, if they want to be on the top of the Big Ten, they're going to have to beat a team like Michigan. And Michigan really cannot afford this loss because they are now in the season where Jim Harbaugh's 
time in Michigan could be coming to an end if things don't go well uh, with them. And what I mean by that is them being in the college football playoff and reaching the national championship game. I've been impressed with uh, Penn State. I, I like what I'm seeing from their quarterback, Sean Clifford, and their running back. I forgot his name. But even though they're at home, I do think Michigan will win because they have a chip on their shoulder. Because of that, I don't see them slowing down. And they're going to find a way to uh, lead this team to victory. When it comes to their matchup against Ohio State, that's a different story. But I think Michigan is going to win 30-21. I think uh, Shea Patterson is going to make the, the big plays this Saturday. I think Michigan is going to win, but it's not going to be impressive. But a win is a win. And then we are going to finish off with Tennessee at 2-4 and four against number one undefeated Alabama. If anybody remembers, Tennessee's head coach is former Alabama defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt. And Nick Saban tends to have a great record against his former coordinators. Alabama's going to win. And I would think Alabama's going to win 45-20. to 20. Tua Tagovailoa is playing at a Heisman Trophy candidate level. And if he continues to do that, he's going to win the trophy no matter what. And besides, Nick Saban also makes sure he gets on his players if they're not doing their assignment right. That's a good thing I can say about Alabama is that Nick Saban is very detail-oriented and he is very key in getting his players to do their jobs, but also do them right. Nick Saban's going to continue the successful trend against his uh, coordinators. He's going to win 45-20. to 20. That's going to be it for Season 2, Episode 7 of the Spin Move Podcast. This was my first solo episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And like I mentioned before, don't forget to subscribe to the Spin Move Podcast and leave a review. I would appreciate that. With that being said, I am your host, Paul, signing off. Have a great week, everyone.